Welcome. I'm your host, Fran Capo, the Guinness Book of World Records fastest talking woman. But don't worry, I'll be talking slow during this podcast. You're listening to Fran's World, a show about humor, hope, happiness, and fulfilling your dreams. On each podcast, I have a different guest from all over the world who are successful in their fields. Artists, scientists, quantum light healers, millionaires, adventurers, world wrestling champs, fellow world record holders, comedians, directors, TV show hosts, Emmy award winning producers. You get the point. I love to catch them off guard and ask them questions that you've always wanted to ask and really get inside their minds of what makes them successful so you could apply it to your life. So sit back and enjoy today's Fran's World podcast. Adventure Girl, explore your world. Now... I have a fantastic guest on the line. I know this woman from uh, all the ways back from, well, I do like that. We know, I know her all the ways back from, uh, I don't want to say all the ways back, maybe two years ago from uh, high school, okay, <laughs> from college. And my, she has over 20 years experience in public relations and marketing. She is a big out-of-the-box brand-building thinker and has won many, cre- and she wears many creative hats. I've seen her do so many things over the years. She's the founder of RGN Marketing, providing strategic consulting to both individuals and companies. She's authored two books, How to Meet a Mensch in New York and How to Marry a Mensch, and she'll explain what that is for those of you who don't know. She has made many television and radio appearances, lectured extensively, and works privately with singles as a love coach. Theater has also become a longtime personal passion, and in recent years, she's become a Broadway producer. She also writes theater reviews and works on promotion consulting level with leading theatrical marketing firm. She's a Tony Award nominated for The Great Comet that starred Josh Groban, and she's currently developing a musical with her producing partner inspired by her book, How to Marry a Mensch. At present, she's also involved with the Broadway musical Be More Chill and is on the other deve- de- and other developmental theatrical projects. When Robin and her husband became parents in their 40s, she decided to launch MotherhoodLater.com. Get it? Because you're not doing it young, you're doing it later. It's since been featured in Time Magazine and USA Today and has grown to become a respected worldwide organization devoted to women who became moms after the age of 35. And as if that's not enough, she holds an MBA in marketing, she's a member of a drama league in the League of Professional Theater Women, she's featured in Who's Who and Books Some Nerve, The 52 Weeks and Power Moms. She lives in Great Neck, doesn't mean you need to go to her door and knock and her hus- with her husband and his son who her son, by the way, is a proud junior firefighter volunteer and now, with all that, is she still on the line? Please welcome Robin Gorman Newman. Robin, are you there? I'm here. I feel like I need a vacation here. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow, I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so, glad it's Friday. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you're welcome. I, I, I tr- I've been trying to get Robin on the show. The show's been going on for four years. I've been trying to get Robin on the show for four years. She's always so busy. She's like, I can't do it today. I'm going to be here. I can't do it today. I'm going to be here. I'm like, well, I don't care where you are. Today you're doing it. So here she is. So, okay. First, like I uh, Exactly. Everything you do in the key that I, everything I do, perseverance, persistence, you know, you just keep on trying to make something work, and eventually it 
does. Exactly. Now, and it's funny because Robin and I went to Queens College together, and the way we re-met was she was doing a Broadway book signing. There was a play going on, and she's out there in the hall, and I'm like, that is Robin Gorman Newman. And i like, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm doing a book signing. I'm doing all these things. And then we started hooking up again. But first, before we go any further, explain to those non-New Yorkers that are listening what a mensch is. Sure. A mensch is defined as a decent, responsible person. I'd like to add who even your mother would love for those who care what their mother says. <laughs> but some people, that matters. And, um, and it's actually a man or a woman. The origins are Yiddish, but if you were to look it up in a more contemporary dictionary, it would actually just be referred to as a person. Because people ask me all the time, what's a female mensch? And I joked and said, well, menchette, but actually a mensch is universal. I did not and know that. Someone with integrity, you know, like someone, like people ask me also often, how do you know? You know, how can you tell someone to mensch? And, you know, my response is, well, if you're asking the question, then maybe you know. Because a mensch is, it's just going to be so obvious when someone's a mensch, they're going to be there for you, they'll show up, you don't have to question them, they'll stand the test of time, they'll have your back, you know, and menches aren't perfect, for sure, no one is, but a mensch, it doesn't get better than a mensch in my book anyway. Well, okay, good. So now everybody knows, basically, it's a decent human being that you would want to spend the rest of your life with. So... Now, okay, so great. So we have what a, a mensch is. And so now what led you, what led you to um, write um, your first book? Or what did you become sure. first, actually? Were you a love coach first or do you, were you an author first? No, it actually started with the books. My first book was How to Meet a Mensch in New York. And the impetus for that, essentially, and I don't recommend that people do this because I actually wound up writing it as a newlywed, which is <laughs> a little weird. I was working a full-time job at the time as well. I was uh, in PR so you know, for a company in New York City. So not only was I working full-time, but I was a newlywed writing a book about dating. So it was a little bit weird. Um, yeah, because your husband's going, wait a minute already. You're not happy? What's going on? <laughs> no. I know. And it's so funny because my publisher was saying to me all the time, now make sure you stay married. I'm like, don't worry, don't worry. You know, we're, we're good. Because ironically, a lot of authors at that time who were writing books, dishing relationship advice, were either single or divorced. So I was, you know, kind of in the minority in terms of those actually being happily married, right, dishing advice to others. But that's exactly why I wrote it, because I felt like I had walked the talk or walked the walk, you know, so to speak. Because when I was out there being single, it just felt like such a job, you know, it felt like I was timing the achievement and going here and there and just, you know, running all around. And people were always saying to me, especially my parents were always saying to me, well, it'll happen when you least expect it. And my response was, well, but I always least expect it. <laughs> so when, you know, like, what does that mean? Um, and ironically, I met my husband on a single trip and we were on the same trip, but we met at the airport. So it really did happen when I least expected it because I wasn't supposed to even be on that trip. But the impetus for the book was that because it felt like so much work and I just kept saying to myself, God, I wish there was a resource. And this is like kind of pre-web, like I'm dating myself now. But the first book came out in the 90s and the web was just emerging. So there wasn't, other than looking at like a New York magazine, you know, for example, there wasn't like any compendium of just places to go or things to read ideas about what to do, so on top of just feeling like work, actually going out there to do these things, the work also came in trying to figure out, you know, where to go, 
And because I've always been so resourceful, I kind of became like the go-to person in my social circle who my friends would call up and say, so, like, what are you doing Friday night? Can I come? Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, you know what? I, I felt like this walking encyclopedia of ideas for socialization. And that was where my book idea came from. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it just be helpful if there was a resource? What if someone could just pick up a book or anything and just kind of get like, a sense of the landscape of different options that are out there that are less than obvious. You know, like right. not going to a bar, yeah, because not going to a singles event. But the you know, first book was categorized. It was kind of like a Zagat, you know, for the single scene. Right. Well, that's good. Everything from getting involved in nonprofit organizations to travel to, you know, all kinds of interest-oriented categories. You know, my goal with it was really to... To make people believe that this could actually happen for you, but maybe part of making that happen for you is to think out of the box. And to give them a strategy to be able to do that instead of thinking always like, oh, I can only go to a bar. And not just do what you know. Right. People tend to do that. You know, we all have our comfort zones. It's so easy to be a creature of habit. But the bottom line is, and, and that's what led to my next book, which is How to Marry a Man, which I'm now actually spinning into a, a musical I'm developing with my producing partner. And so we're excited to see that on the stage. But um, it was after the first book, and I was doing all kinds of speaking gigs and appearances, and that was eventually when I became a love coach. And I branded myself that because one of my friends said to me at one of my talks, she's like, you know, you really should give personal advice because everyone's reason for being here is different and everyone's needs are different. And I said, yeah, you know, that's really true, but what would that look like? And I, I honestly had no idea because it's not like I'm officially trained to do any of this. And I was actually doing a radio interview at the time. I was a regular on Joan Hamburg when she had her show on WOR. She was a big supporter of the book. I remember so her, one of yeah. The interviews, what's that? No, I remember her because I've, I was on her show. She was a big, not, uh, well, good that she was a supporter of the book, but she had a very big radio station, so that was a great one to be on. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, huge following. Um, and she, you know, I was on her show fairly regularly talking about all kinds of dating uh, topics. So on one of the shows I was on, I just decided to share that I was now offering private consultations. And, you know, like you, I'm sure, you know, when you're a proactive person with ideas, Sometimes it feels overwhelming and you might not be sure how to start. So my way of starting was... You, know, you just announce it. it. <laughs> right. Let me put it out there. And, you know, if I share it and they will come, then I will figure it out. Well, the phone rang and then I had to figure it out. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so I want to do this, but what does this even look like? And, and then I had to figure out, like, who I was. What was I even going to call myself? And originally I called myself a personal trainer for your love life. Because I felt like, you know, how many people join gyms? And then if you ask the average person, well, yeah, do you exercise? I might say, well, like, you know, I, I belong to a gym. Yeah, you but belong to a gym, was, but you don't do actually you do anything. Yeah. Right. The, the question, I mean, how many people belong to gyms and don't go? Well, that's like people say they have a driver's license, but they haven't driven in 10 years. Okay, you have the license, but do you know what the hell to do with right. it? Yeah. You know, exactly. That's why I thought the personal trainer for your love life, you know, could be fun. Because it was my way of, of sort of hinting that I was going to make you accountable. You know, for your actions. Accountable um, and hopefully that they would find somebody that would be, you know, you're coaching them to be more. Yes. Not, and, and I don't want to say that they weren't attractive or whatever, but just showing them the opportunities that could allow themselves to be in a better position to meet somebody. Well, exactly. You know, and then, but that felt like a bit of a mouthful, to, you know, personal trainer for your love life thing. So then I started calling myself a social strategist, which really felt more, you know, active than a title. 
so and then eventually I, I decided to call myself a love coach and I actually think I might have coined the term love coach I can't prove it but my website is lovecoach.com and I've had it for like you know many many years um, so in hindsight it would have been cool if I trademarked it but I didn't um, but now it's a phrase that a lot of people use you know, but you know that you created it and they could go back and see it but I know what you're saying it's frustrating because afterwards you're like wait a minute I was the first one but see now you took yeah. that you know because you don't know how big something's going to become and now it's you know it's out there and it's really so what I do now is I offer private consultations to singles and my goal is you know really to help someone lead a more successful social life and I work with people of all ages you know all backgrounds and I'm not a matchmaker though I have a friend who is who's very good so I do sometimes make referrals when I feel like it's appropriate but I, I really try to empower people to think out of the box to have a plan to feel supported and to really kind of own up to their attitudes and actions or, or lack thereof. That either makes them, you know, desirable or not. But the other thing is you could just yeah. add one word in front of love, love coach, the original love coach, you know, just like how people say this is yeah. the the yeah. real, you know, site of yeah. so-and-so, but the original love coach. So, but that led, of course, then you're also a theater producer. And so yeah. you're saying that one of the projects that you're working on is the How to Marry a Mensch and then making that into a musical. Now, let me ask you, is it based on your yeah. life? Um, hopefully not. Okay. <laughs> I want to see you dancing well, well, up there. Totally, no. We don't have the narrative yet. Okay. Um, oh, here we go know, again. No one. <laughs> yeah, it's in the early stages. I don't think I want to see myself on stage. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how, and I think my son would be mortified. Oh, it doesn't matter what um, so kids I think. They're always mortified. a girl who just walked inside poop. That sounds a little weird. Okay, go ahead. We got a mensch movement happening. No, go ahead. Yeah, it's important. You know why? Because everyone is throwing around words, you know, be good, be kind. There's a kindness, there's a random act of kindness day coming up, I just read. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. And and there was recently a kindness day. What the difference is, I don't really know. But, you know, the fact that we even need to have all these declarations on one hand, I say, oh, cool, it's raising awareness. On the other hand, I say, oh, my God, like, really, this is insane. Like, do we honestly need to be reminded of this? Well, but you know what the problem is? It's just like the same way where people say you should be thankful every day, not just Thanksgiving. But the thing is, it brings it to light. It's like, you, you know, on this day, I really have to try to be, you know, thankful. And it just is a way of awareness. But there's that Chase directory yeah. that always lists what the day is. You know, like today is Smile Day. Today is this day. Maybe you could just right. push, you know, say, hey, we want a mensch, we want a mensch movement day. Oh, we probably will have something like that, you know, when the time yeah. comes. Yeah, mensch awareness day. Um, but the thing around mensch is that it's also not just, I mean, it's about being a mensch. You know, what you, uh, what I believe is that you get what you attract. You know, I mean, you attract rather what you put out. Right. And the law of attraction. And it takes a mensch to know a mensch to find a mensch. And we, you know, we talk about this as even a possible show tagline. Because it's really important to have a sense of what you're putting out there in the world. If you don't like who you're attracting, you know, maybe there's a reason for that. And, and maybe, you know, your antenna is up in the wrong way. Or, you know, what's interesting around the word mensch, Fran, is that it, it's a word that inspires a conversation. Right, because it's not a typical word, so everybody has to think of them once right. it just elaborates on that. fascinating for us just in the development of the show, just even taking meetings with writers who we're looking at for the project. 
are interested in it. And once you say you're working on a project like this, you know, everyone has stories to share. And we've had, like, some female producers, for example, share with us how they don't want a mensch. <laughs> yeah, they want a they bad don't boy. Think a mensch can be, yeah, they don't think a mensch can be stimulating, you know, physically or otherwise. Well, a mensch um, doesn't have to be a, a droopy-looking person. I mean, just because somebody's no. good doesn't mean that they can't be hot-looking. Exactly. You know, a mensch, it's integrity. It's not a schlep. You know, it's not synonymous with a nerd or a geek or, you know, or just someone who is, you know, Listen, Steve, my my husband is a, a mensch to, by your definition, and he rides mm-hmm. a Harley and he <laughs> laughs at farting, exactly. you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's just, you know, a regular guy, a really good regular guy, you know, but it's funny that you say that because prior to meeting him, I always had gone out with tall guys with dark hair and blue eyes and the Italian looking, and here he is, a Jewish guy with blue eyes and blonde hair. And, and, you know, not very athletic in that type. He's built, but not that way. Right. And and I remember saying to me, when we first went on a date, he was like, he goes, so what do you think? And I go, oh, you're a really nice guy. And he goes, no, but what do you think? And I said, I think you're a nice guy. And he kept going, well, what do you think about the way I look? I said, well, you're not normally the way, the type of guy that I'm normally attracted to. And then he goes, yeah, and how did that work out for you? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like exactly. good point. <laughs> Right. I mean, that that was our response to these women, you know, who were sharing that. And I thought to myself, okay, now I know why you're, you know, 60-something. And not only are you not married, because we're not pushing marriage, that's a choice, but you really haven't had a good relationship no, you know, you- like, in your life. And it's kind of sad because they're probably, and it was two of them actually echoing the same thing, and they were going to continue on that same path because they really, they weren't owning the choices they had made and they really weren't ready to admit that it hasn't worked for them. Right. Well, you know, at some point, there's a a pillow I have at home of a woman all dressed up with pearls and everything sitting on a park bench and she's a skeleton and it says waiting for Mr. Right. And I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, that's the point. If you're just going to keep waiting, I mean, when you think you're perfect, you know what I'm saying? Like no one's perfect. So I don't know exactly what you're waiting for. If the guy makes you happy and he's good, Go for it. But, Robin, we, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to, uh, I know that, and I love how you always coin new words, because you're a mompreneur instead of an entrepreneur, mompreneur, yeah. and um, you shared your background with us and everything, so I want to know, uh, first of all, for people checking you out, whether it's in the Love Coach or whether they want to buy your book, the two websites they would go to is lovecoach.com and motherhoodlater.com, and people, you know, you have to be able right. to spell this. Later, right, exactly. Yes. Not with the New York accent. M O T H E R H O O D L A T E R. Later, not later, not ladder. Right. Okay, motherhoodlater.com. So either of those two sites they can go to. And so what is right now? Is there anything that you have on Broadway right now that they can see? I mean, gosh, I'm always doing something. Um, I mean, for Motherhood Later, we just launched two chapters. Actually, we're going to be doing a webinar. Oh, for, when is that? Motherhood Later is for women and, and men who became parents at age 35 and older. And we're going to be doing a webinar you know, around the subject of later motherhood and touching on lots of different topics that we think resonate within that. And how can they so, find out about where to sign on to the webinar? Um, I would say this at the moment, because we haven't announced it officially yet on the site, but what I would suggest is they go to the site and they can write 
on there. It's Robin, R-O-B-I-N, at motherhoodleader.com. And if someone is interested, then I would be, you know, we'll keep them on our list and, and be sure to circle back and inform them. We also have two groups on Facebook. We have a private one and a public community. Again, it's Motherhood Leader, then it's dot, 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 that sooner on Facebook to find us. Right, but we don't um, want people to get too confused. So right now, we if they go to motherhoodlater.com, pretty much they can get in touch with you. Or if they go to lovecoach.com, yes. they can get in yes, touch exactly. with you. They can write to me, you know, through both methods, exactly. And I'm available for the love coaching work and also, you know, as I said, to sign people up for the webinar. And when we do it, I'd love to hear from them and we'd love to know what topics they'd like to hear about as well. We also have in-person chapters all over the world and for Motherhood Later. And we actually just launched a chapter in Nigeria. And wow. Yeah. Robin, that's amazing. That, because I remember I when you first started this. That is awesome. Now, see, people, you're in on a lady who is now international, worldwide, and she's helping people, women and men, all over the world. I, I always love that you're always doing something different. You, you're like me. It's like you can't just sit there and go, oh, yeah, 50 years ago I did this. 10 years ago I did this. You know, It's always something that you're, you know, that you're working on to just constantly make life exciting and better. So anyway, people, I, um, Robin, it was so great to finally pin you down and get you on. And again, yeah. folks, if you want to find out about Robin's books, they're fun to read, but they're also informational. It's How to Marry a Mensch. And it, you go to lovecoach.com or motherhoodlater.com and find out what Robin can help you with or just read the book and recommend it to some single friend of yours that's been complaining she hasn't found someone, you know, and on and on and on. Instead of just go, listen, I've heard it a million times. Here's a book. Read it. Go find somebody. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much, and you're listening to Fran's World, and we'll be right back. Adventure Girl, explore your world. Joey has been a camp counselor, lawyer, elected official editorial director, busboy, radio show host, professional speaker, and child actor, but not necessarily in that order, which would be hard if he was the child actor last. As a stand-up comedian, Joey has appeared on MTV, Rascals, Comedy Hour, and Punchlines in Politics. He's appeared on many storytelling shows in New York, including Yum's the Word, The Liar Show, Word, and the Moth Parody Show, The Muff. His solo show, Comedian Elected to Town Council in New Jersey, was nominated for Best Comedy Performance at the Capitol Fringe Festival. Recently, he won Story Slams at the New Jersey Storytelling Festival and at the Cape Cod Story Slam in Hyannis. And most importantly, he's been in the New York City Marathon four times. I, of course, chose to only do it once, but... That was prompted by Joey, and that's a whole other story. But anyway, it's a long-standing joke between us. Please welcome my dear friend, Joey Novick. Hey, Joey, how you doing? Thank you, Fran. You make me sound so good. I have to say, I appreciate all of those credits. Well, thank you. None of them are true, but no, they're all true. Well, I have to say thank you to having me on your show, and I look forward to your questions and... Uh, anybody calls answering their questions too. Great. Well, 
first, I just want to let people know a little background of how Joey and I met, because Joey is fantastic at improv, and when I, before I even became a stand-up comic, I decided I should take an improv class, so of course you're going to take an improv class, why don't you bring your mother? So I brought my mother to the class, because you know, that's normal, right? I'm the only one there with, uh, with my mother, and Joey's like, okay, the two of you could do it together, and... Joey, you, it was just so much fun doing your improv class, and you did it way back then, and you're still doing that now, right? Yes, I still, uh, I still teach improv, but I want to just uh, pay tribute to Lowe's. I have to say that I, I really enjoyed whatever I, I was with her, and she uh, really, I, I mean, I have to say that as moms go, she set a really high standard for you, and I think that's one of the reasons why Thank you. For those of you who don't know, although I've, I've talked about it on the show before, my mommy, Rose, has uh, since gone. She's on the other side, probably laughing at everything I do. And But Joey knew her well, and he also knew my dad, because I was one of those comics that brought my mom and dad to everything. <laughs> it was like a good Catholic girl. No, they was they my, my bodyguards. But um, Joey, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. So, Joey, just as far as so people get an idea, what was your training or, like, how did you start doing? Were you a stand-up comic or an improv person first? Well, you know, I took a class uh, through Marty Friedberg in, uh, in New York at the, at the old improv comedy club. And I was so turned on to improv in and of itself, just the idea that you could react on stage and make people laugh in the moment, that it really just drew me into comedy. And when I started teaching stand-up, like such a wonderful source to gain um, skill sets, to write, to do characters, to be in the moment with an audience. Uh, that's how I started teaching stand-up from that perspective. And if you remember, you know, improv is really a series of games yep. in which you get a, a, a series of games in which you get a suggestion from the audience and uh, just, you know, come up with things in the moment. I think people could relate to it if they think of, uh, what, what's that guy's name, Drew, Drew Carey? Uh, yeah, what's my line? So that's yeah. Whose line is it anyway? So that's the you know like if people remember that show, then you remember what stand up is like. They'll give you a, a a situation or who you are, and then you just based on things you think of in your head at that moment have to do it, and hopefully it's yeah, funny. And, and, and a lot of people think that improv is very different than stand up, but it really requires um, an observational point of view to really be able to take a look at life and your situations and your family and just what goes on in the world and be able to comment on it very quickly. And that skill really, I believe, gets exercised and developed from improv. Well, that's true. And and you and I both know because there's some stand-ups, though, that do just stick to their act. But even though they had to develop their act, their act had to be developed upon observation so that the audience would find it funny. Because if nobody knows what the heck you're talking about, it's not funny. But but the improv really helps you to be able to be in the moment on the stage. So if something funny happens while you're doing your stand-up, you could come out of your, your, I don't know, whatever, your set act, so to speak, and then just take that moment and seize it. And sometimes those are the greatest moments. 
writer. You know, he talks about how he would do three, four hours of writing at his desk every day. He became a better stand-up comedian after he took an improv workshop with um, an improv teacher in New York, and he says that he attributes that training to, to being able to observe things in its most minute and trivial form in, in life. You know, what's funny, Joey, is I love that, you know, right now, you could have said he took training with me. Nobody would have known, but whatever. Right. <laughs> but, right. But I want to ask you, so you now, because a lot of the people that took the improv class when I was there were people that wanted to be actors or comics, but you're now teaching lawyers because you're a lawyer yourself how to right. do improv. So how does that help them in the, in well, the courtroom? Um, you know, I am a, uh, I became a lawyer late in life. And a lot of the skills that one needs as an attorney to be able to react in the moment in court, to be able to articulate in front of an audience, which is a jury, to be able to craft a story that is very um, provocative, that it has human elements to it, all of those skills are skills that one learns in improv. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you make you know, the judge laugh or you make the jury laugh, but it's, it's all about being able to communicate effectively. It's all about making connections. I mean, when, when one's on stage, one's on stage as a stand-up comedian, the reason why you get a laugh is because of the connection that you're making with the audience. And that's what you want to make with a juror, with a jury. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that's why it's an essential tool, which most people wouldn't connect the two, but it's an essential tool for anybody, a teacher, a lawyer, uh, you know, anybody that's in the public eye, so to speak. It is yeah, an essential tool for them to have. And, and I think you really hit the nose on, on the, the nail on the head. Um, anyone who needs to communicate sometimes ideas in which you have to appeal to someone's emotional intelligence, improv gives you a skill set that works very well with regard to that. And when I say emotional intelligence, you know, there's, there's a difference where, you know, if a lawyer gets up there and he's just, he or she is giving fact after fact after fact. Yeah, people got to fall asleep. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you need, you need to keep the art, you need to keep your jury well informed, inspired. You know, you need to try to create a story that keeps them on your side. And improv, uh, all of those skills that you learn in improv naturally does that. So now, Joey, so uh, just, uh, you know, obviously I said this up in the beginning. So you're a stand-up comic and you're a lawyer. And you ne and then you were a lawyer first or a politician first? Um, I ran for elective office in 94 and won. Uh, I served 12 years on the borough council in Flemington. Uh, I went to law school at the age of 47 in 2001. I love it. And graduated, and graduated at the age of 50. See, that to um, me is great when people say, oh, I can't do it, I'm too old. I'm like, oh, please, yeah. stop with the nonsense. And, yeah. and I also want to throw in that I did the marathon four times. No, you I didn't, actually. You know, you told me that, but I never saw you actually run. So I'm not really sure you actually did the marathon. Okay? Right, you know, I need Brandon, footage. <laughs> no, okay. Brandon, I will... 
Please do, and I and I have to see the feet running. I have to see the whole thing. It can't be somebody else's feet. I have to know. Okay. I will bring it. I will bring it a four camera shoot. Okay. Now, Joey, tell us about your, because we don't have that much time, and I want to make sure everybody knows where they can see you or come to your class, but tell us about your one-man show, The Comedian Elected to Town Council, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Well, I, um, it's, it's, as you mentioned, it's called Comedian Elected to Town Council, New Jersey. It's uh, really the story of my getting elected um, in a town that is a small, small town, not, like, not unlike Mayberry, with Andy Griffith, a lot of small town people. Okay. And, uh, there's some great, great stories that I tell about being in campaigns, about running others' campaigns, about you know the response of my parents to the whole, uh, the whole thing. And it's uh, it's really about you know uh, American politics from a uh, you know something that we really need to hear today is about American politics from a humorous point of view. Yes. Exactly, because then people could relax about it and not go, oh, no, I don't want to hear this. Yeah. I I mean, there there are so many people who are at each other's throats today politically, and I think that there really needs to be a little bit taking a breath, laughing at yourself, and recognizing that if I don't agree with you, I may be a political opponent, but you're not my enemy. Right, exactly, and that's the thing because whatever happened to what? Uh, hold on, whatever happened to where somebody could have an opinion, somebody could have an you know a contra opinion, and it doesn't mean you're going to get into a fist fight or so burn their house down. It just right. means okay, you don't agree with me, I don't agree with you. Let's agree to disagree, but I'd like to hear why you came to that conclusion. And it doesn't have to be so you know. Oh my gosh, I can't speak to that person against ridiculous. So I think that that is great service that you're doing, doing that comedian elected to town council in New Jersey. By the way, Joey's website, if you go to improv, I-M-P-R-O-V, four, F-O-R, leaders, L-E-A-D-E-R-S, for people who don't know how to spell, improvforleaders.com, then you could find out all the stuff that Joey's doing, right? Yep. And, it, and it's great, like we said once again, um, for anybody that's in any kind of realm where they have to speak in front of an audience, and especially like if you're in front of kids, you know, like a teacher or, you know, lawyers or anything, just to keep it interesting where somebody then could absorb the information you're giving them and not go, oh, Lord, when is lunch? So this, it, it works out really good. You know, again, people, if you want to f- take improv, Joey is the person to take it with. Go to improv, I-M-P-R-O-V, for, F-O-R, don't try to do a shortcut, leaders, L-E-A-D-E-R-S, improvforleaders.com. Folks, we'll be back more with Friends World. Adventure Girl. Anyway, we're gonna, we have a fantastic guest on the line. I know, I always throw these things at you. Okay, fantastic guest on the line. Her name is China Blue, and she is known as the queen of the unusual, who marries visual art, space and science, and algorithm music. She has produced the album Cassini's Dreams. The work is based on a discovery for NASA of the sounds hidden in Saturn's rings. Who knew there were sounds there? By implementing a rarely used algorithm and collaborating 
collaborating with the T-Mobile ringtone creator Lance Massey. She produced the 11-track algorithm-based album that led that lets you join the spaceship Cassini in her exploration of the giant ringed planet. Planet, sorry. Cassini's Dreams was featured in the 2019 Venice Binali in Venice, Italy. Listen, that's a big deal. She'll explain that later. There in Palazzo Bimo, it became the basis of the installation that converts Saturn's rings live into the music. China Blue does talks around the world based on her experience working with NASA and her two decades long life as a woman in art, science, and technology. And guess what? Now we have her here today, live on the phone. How are you, China? I am fine, Franz. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Oh, you're welcome. I, I looked you up. You got a lot of credits, girl. Okay, so <laughs> I was like, oh, my Lord, I have to condense this down. Otherwise, I'll be talking the whole interview. So, <laughs> so I got to say, first of all, um, China, your art and music are so different and really special. So what came first, your art, the science, or the technology? Well, the art came first because I was born into a family of artists. So, you know, so I was kind of like born with a brush in my mouth. <laughs> oh, wow. No bottle? Boy, you must have been hungry, but that's a good. <laughs> a silver spoon, but a brush. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Hey, listen, if it made money, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> so so your, your parents were artists, and then, but you took such like an interesting turn into this because not every artist decides, well, I'm going to combine, you know, science and technology. Why not stick the three together? And you found a way to combine them. So what was it that your art, you just then started being curious? How did that lead into that? Um, I blame it all on my husband. Okay, well, there, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, it, blame it, it, that sounds like a good thing. Your husband, by the way, tell everybody who he is. My husband is Seth Horowitz, and he is a, a neuroscientist and space scientist. And when I met him, um, I didn't know anything about science. I was an artist. What would I know about science? That's I right. I studied it in school. <laughs> and he said, but I like that lady with the brush in her mouth. So it worked out good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was my selling point. What can I say, friend? <laughs> <laughs> he saw you and he goes, I have never seen a woman like that. And I love her. <laughs> and I heard that you two had this fantastic, like, quick romance. Like, you just, the chemistry just worked for the two of you. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was quick, but it was long lasting, and um, we basically have spent all of our life together, um, feeding off of each other's ideas. He's the science and the, and the and the and he's the science part. I'm the part art part, and both of us have strong technology backgrounds. And so, see, that's good. Now, I want to get to, because the fact is you're not a scientist, but you look at things differently, and therefore, because of that, you were able to get a job with NASA. Yeah. The way you said it, yeah. Okay. Who would have expected that, right, friend? I know. But I think it's great. It's because you have to explain to people, because obviously working with NASA, there's different divisions. So the people that you were working with, scientists, I, I read that you said they, they look at things, you know, they're, they're very hardcore. Like, I want to know the numbers. I want to know the facts. But you coming from an artistic background, was it, what was that missile thing you were shooting? Oh, the vertical gun. Yeah. <laughs> well, the vertical 
everybody who's not familiar with it, which is most of the world. <laughs> Except for <It's>, me. <laughs> Good. Good. It's a gun that's housed in the Ames Research Center in California, and it has a barrel that's 27 feet long. Wow. Uh, and what they do with it is they research uh, what would happen to Earth if an asteroid or a meteorite hit it. And they do it with a vertical gun. And this gun shoots different particles into a chamber, and they look at what happened in the chamber, and they measure it, and they analyze it, and try and figure all the, all the kinds of information that they can derive on it from it. So I was fortunately lucky to be on the sidelines for my very first trip there. And I was watching this procedure, and I just looked at the uh, principal investigator, and I said to him, I said, well, you're looking at all this stuff, but what about its sound? And he said, in the 50 years that this facility has been in existence, <laughs> nobody has ever heard, thought about its sound until now. <laughs> Don't you love it? How it's something so simple and you're like, a duh. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're dominantly, you know, we, we operate in the world dominantly from our eyes, and the sound, we always take sound for granted. So it's like sort of a, kind of an obvious thing that humans would overlook anyway, and, but because sound is such a major force of my work, I'm always thinking about it. Right. Now, this is the thing, too. So because you thought of that and because they were like, yeah, sure, let's let's see what the sound is like. You. OK, so I, I'm not even sure, like because your mind works differently and most artists minds work differently. I'm a, I'm a stand up comic. We look at things so bizarre and people are like, oh, I never thought of them. Like, how did you not think of that? But that's still how we think. So now you have this album out and it's called Cassini's Dreams. Now, uh, now I didn't even know. See, I'm not like big into the space stuff. I mean, I know this space, obviously, but um, I didn't realize that there was it is it is it a satellite, a Cassini satellite that's up there? What is it? Uh, Cassini was a spacecraft that was sent in to actually research Saturn. And it took 20 years to do that. It's a long time. But over that period of time, we got enormous amount of data from Cassini. But it's, it's really a spacecraft. And then uh, after its 20 years worth of capturing data, it uh, was designed to actually die. Aw. But, yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to feel bad. You're good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but during that time, we have 20 years' worth of information to wade through, which I'm sure the scientists are, are just starting to look at. But, but that, became, that, that became the material that, was, that helped me and Seth discover the sounds hidden in Saturn's ring. But that's the thing. What I'm saying is, like, you made that leap. They're looking at it from a totally different point of view, and you're like, hey, from what I read, you said, hey, when you look above Saturn, not that anybody's standing above it, but, you know, when they're taking a picture, you said it looks like a giant LP album. And what <laughs> if, which I think is great, because your mind worked that way. Yeah, that looks like an LP. What kind of sound? What kind of music? So you abstracted, so your music on that Cassini, uh, uh, Cassini's uh, album, Dr Cassini's Dreams, is the actual sounds we're hearing from Saturn's rings? We extracted that information from the Cassini, the spacecraft, and then we converted that into some 
little bit more musical because the actual sounds that were extracted were well, they're coarse. They're, they're not attractive to our musically oriented ears. And people are going to be like, all right, I heard it, blah, blah, blah. So you t- actually yeah, combined it. Noise. Right. Yeah, they'll be like, all right, I know. Two minutes, I got it. But not you, even two. <laughs> I meant to say two seconds. But, but you, I listened to it, and it made me feel like I could picture tiny little aliens, you know, beep, 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 you know, going around. I loved it. And then you do this immersive art display where for people who don't know, like, it's like you take a space and you create the art out of the space. And so your music and art is there, right? Yeah. And where exactly, I know that your art right now is on exhibit, which by the way, for people who don't know, the Venice Biennale, I don't even know if I'm saying it, um, is like the the epitome of where artists want to be. This is like their dream to be there, and your stuff is there. Yeah, it's every artist's lifelong dream because it's the most important international exhibition in the whole world. And uh, I was, I felt really, really lucky to be able to participate this, this past year in it. And what I did was I made a sort of an illustration of the of my process, which was I had a 3D image of Cassini up in the corner, little tiny Cassini imaginado about, uh, I think it was about six inches long and about, what is that, four inches in diameter. And it has a laser in it that's focusing down on rings of an inflatable of Saturn. So that was hanging from the ceiling. You have this big inflatable of Saturn and the rings and the laser is focusing on on the ring patterns and then and while you're looking at it it's converting the the patterning in the rings into sounds just like the process I took to convert the sounds found in um, the uh, the rings of Saturn into music is there a place in the United States that people can see your exhibit or is it just um, in Italy right now it uh, is Okay, cool. Well, people could check that out, you know, if they go to your website. But the thing is, you didn't only concentrate on Saturn. You also found the voice in the Eiffel Tower and in sounds in Venice's water and in meteorites. So it's not like you just said, oh, I'm just going to look at this one planet. You were like, well, what does that sound like? What does that sound like? What does that sound like? And then you you just, your mind works that way. That's so interesting. Okay, it sounds totally bizarre, right? (laughs) No, but think about that. That's an interesting statement. Right, because it's a sound that it's there, but nobody knew it's there. So it's unheard, even though it's still there. And so you're bringing it so that people can hear the unheard sound. Right. I get it. What's the matter with other people? These people don't get it. They got to get it. I don't know what's the matter with them. Okay. And so we, you have a lot of sponsors because obviously they love your work and you, you have your artwork exhibit there um, and you say research and innovation are the basis for all your works and you like to make up new colors, new sounds. So basically you're bringing things to people that they have never seen or heard before. 
Yeah, I guess so. That's a nice way to put it. Well, but it's the truth, because if nobody... Listen, not everybody's going to Saturn and going, let me hear you. Not everybody's going to the Eiffel Tower. They're going, let me take a picture. And you're saying, excuse me, the tower's yelling at you when you're not listening. And you, you bring all that stuff up. So where can people find out about you? Is the best website to go to China, C-H-I-N-A, Blue, B-L-U-E, Art, A-R-T dot com, ChinaBlueArt dot com? Right. Well, there you go. I solved it. Okay. <laughs> they... People and, did not. And also to listen to Cassini's dreams. And where's the best way? Is if they well the Cassini's dreams if they go to cdbaby.com/cd because that's what you're listening to. China Blue Five. That's how they listen to Cassini's dreams. Correct. Yeah. So you want to listen to it or just Google Cassini C A S S I N I. S apostrophe, it's plural. I mean, uh, you know, possessive. Cassini's dreams. It's his dreams, but actually, it's China Blue's dreams because you know Cassini was around, but she, China Blue didn't hear these things. Too bad about Cassini. So you want to listen to to you want to listen to China Blue's dreams, but she gave credit to Cassini. So you want to go to Cassini's dreams on CD Baby and listen to it. You get to hear each of the tracks for a few seconds, and then if you're having some cool party and you want this as background music, this is a great great CD to get. Are you there? Did I lose you? Did you? Did, where are you? No, okay. Right there. Right there. I agree with you. And by the way, for the, those people, it would be wonderful for people to listen into it. Uh, I think it's a really, really for me. It was an exciting CD to make, and I'm excited to share it with everybody because it, it is unique. And that's the thing, people. You don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. How many times can you listen to Ark Off, Uncle? You got to listen to something else. Okay. So you want to check in on Cassini's dreams. And by the way, for those people who didn't know Cassini is, he was an Italian mathematician, astronomer, and engineer, so they named this after him. So, thank you China Blue for being on the show. Um, I love that you've created something new for people in the world. And again, people, check out Cassini's dreams, cdbaby.com slash cd dash China Blue slash China Blue 5. You know what? Just go to chinablueart.com and I'm sure it'll lead you there. So, thank you so much for being on the show. Guys, You've been listening to Fran's World. Thanks for listening to Fran's World. Like us on Facebook and Instagram and tell your friends about us. The information on this show was relevant to the time of taping. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please feel free to email me at francapo.com. Until next time, remember, you control your world, and I thank you for pushing the button and spending time in mine.